Good morning, North Point. Glad to be teaching again today. We're going to be reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 in a moment here. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you can read from, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. We're continuing our series called The Perfect Sanctuary. Today we're in week number four of that. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm excited that you're here. If you wanted to catch up on some of the other messages that we've had, we'll be able to, you'll be able to find that on Facebook, on YouTube, or through our podcast as well on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're not too sure where exactly to find all that, just go to npcalgary.ca. You'll be able to find all of the resources that you need there. Uh, let's take a look now at 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, and it says this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it brings to our lives. I pray that as we uh, dig into this passage here today, that you would uh, help focus our minds on things of you, uh, that you would be speaking to us today through this passage that we would be able to come to know you more and love you more through our time here together. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I find so interesting in 1 John is the light and darkness metaphors that he'll use in different ways. Darkness signifies sin, separation, hate, and a world without God. Light represents forgiveness, relationship, love, and Jesus. The darkness is a metaphor for a world in opposition to God, and the light points to life as disciples of Christ in communion with God. Now, the contrasting metaphors of light and darkness are used throughout history, across cultures, in various ways. And out of all of that, perhaps my favorite example of their use, besides in scripture, is through the Star Wars saga. Now, for those of you that might have avoided pop culture for the last 40 years or so, uh, Star Wars describes a power called the Force that can be used for good or for evil. Uh, good is the light side and evil is the dark side. In the second movie of the original trilogy, the Jedi Master Yoda says something that is quite profound and I can hear it in my mind just as if he was saying it right now. But beware of the dark side, anger, fear, aggression, the dark side of the Force are they. Easily they flow, quick to join you in a fight. If once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Consume you at will. Okay, don't worry. I'll stop my Star Wars comparisons here for now. But the idea of a path of darkness that consumes you and blinds you is one that John describes here in our passage. The one who hates is consumed by darkness, wandering around without knowing where they are going, and is likely so blinded they don't even know they're in the darkness to begin with. John paints a stark picture here in verse 11 of someone who hates as both being in the darkness and walking around in the darkness. 
Author Constantine Campbell says, the darkness here defines one's being and one's doing, both their conduct and their identity, as one who is outside of the light, one who is in the darkness, even though they would claim to be otherwise. Now, the Greek word that we translate to hate is miseo, and it could be meant to be used either in strong or in mild terms. Now, in our, in our culture, in our, in our world, we typically use the word hate in strong ways. It can be meant to uh, refer to intense hostility or resentment. But miseo could be used in more mild terms as well, as simply showing disfavor or disregard. Now, if we look at what John's letter here says about love, with the idea of hate being painted as the antithesis of love, we can assume that John is intending hate to have some strong meaning here. But both light and darkness are paths, as 1 John describes. And so both of these paths can be taken and followed, which means that the journey down a path of love won't start with love in its purest and most perfect form. And in the same way, a path of hate isn't going to start with its most evil or most intense form either. It's a path, it's a journey that we can be going down, and it's going to start with something like disfavor or disregard. Now, hate can be a mixture of anger and fear and maybe love turned into jealousy. But it doesn't, it's not just that. It's something that remains unresolved and it becomes hardened and calloused over time, usually. It starts with a judgment of a person's action, but moves and settled into this judgment of a person's character and their identity. It likely is going to start with something like a disagreement, like I just said, or with a dislike of another person's actions, maybe. Uh, could be an instance of poor communication. Maybe trust is broken somehow. Maybe someone we know gets hurt by another. Maybe someone just simply rubs us the wrong way. Maybe we're trying to protect something or someone that we love. And if it's dealt with at this point, yes, it's going to still impact our relationship with the other person. But re reconciliation is relatively achievable, and it's likely that the restoration we experience with them will actually grow uh, a depth in our relationship with them. It'll bring us closer together, as hard as it is. However, if those issues are built up upon over time and are left unresolved, we move from disagreement or anger towards their actions and suddenly a contempt for their character or their morality. We might start to see them as our enemy or our adversary. Uh, we feel neither a power nor a desire to change them, but definitely a desire to get some sort of revenge to see them humiliated, or simply to win in whatever way we might define that. Uh, sometimes hate can come in different ways, like maybe a shared narrative that's been accepted by a particular group, uh, a narrative that doesn't need much, if any, objective evidence to support their claim. They'll likely find that evidence on their own, whether it's true or not. And we can see this often uh, as being the genesis of racism or various forms of violence in our world. Uh, we can see this in politics and the divide between the left and the right. We see it often in so many different ways in our world and throughout the course of history.
I hope it's clear as we're unpacking the meaning of hate that it's contrary to the gospel of Jesus and contrary to the life he's called us to live. If Christ has called us to love both God and people, but we get caught in hate, it impacts our relationships with both God and those around us. Now, many of us are likely thinking, I don't think I've really hated someone. That's quite a strong word. Again, that's, you know, we use it in quite strong terms. And as I was preparing, I, I thought that too, but the Lord reminded me of one summer when I was working out at Bible camp when I was in high school. And without getting into too much of the details, because it would make a, a longer story than is necessary right now, uh, most of us were coming into that July, that summer, with a sense of excitement, but also with a, a level of stress because we were all quite young and were in new roles that we'd never been in before. Things started out well, but of course conflict arose and unfortunately it wasn't resolved. And as that built up over the summer and as that conflict continued to be left unresolved, it ended up exploding into fights and nasty letters and calls to board members. And I left that summer feeling empty and dis disillusioned. I might not have thought of it back then, but some of my actions sure did seem to line up with the descriptions of hate that I've outlined here right now as did the consequences that we experienced. If we're caught in hate towards our fellow believers, as John is particularly concerned about in this text, it can damage the church's ability to bring light into the darkness of our world. It can tear our churches apart. It takes us out of the sanctuary, and this happens far more than we would like to admit. It sadly can feed the idea that the church is full of hypocrisy. It can cause some people to leave the fellowship, and it can cause others to take a look and decide that they don't want to have any part of church to begin with. As John writes, they do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. It's rather tragic that the person who hates often wouldn't define themselves as hating because, as I said, the darkness has obscured their ability to see clearly. Rather than trusting Christ with our anger or our fear or our love, rather than holding a posture of humility and self-sacrifice, someone who turns towards hate will be blinded with their own selfishness and pride. It will convince them that they're right no matter what evidence might be presented, and it's only through the love of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that person can see their errors. I have one more Star Wars reference. Back in the third movie of the original Star Wars trilogy, Luke Skywalker brings Darth Vader, his father, back from the dark side, uh, not through winning a lightsaber fight, but through sacrifice and love. If we have believers in our sanctuary that are caught in the darkness of hate, we do need to confront them, yes. But it's only with a spirit of humility and love that Christ's light will be brought into the darkness of their situation. And this is the commandment that John refers to back in verses 7 and 8, something that Pastor Tim had touched on last week. A call to love God, a call to love others. And thinking particularly about loving others in our church family, the words of Jesus in John's gospel come particularly to mind where he says, As I have loved you, 
so you must love one another. This is the life that Christ lived on earth. It's the life that he still lives now. And it's the life that he calls us to join and abide in with him. This is the path of light shining into the darkness of our world, a darkness that John says is fading away in verse 8. The darkness is fading because by a spirit-empowered church acting as bearers of light, the kingdom of heaven is being established here on earth. A kingdom that isn't built on political power or financial might, but on self-sacrifice and on love. I think uh, Constantine Campbell puts it quite well in his commentary as he references Scott McKnight, calling love a rugged commitment to be with and for another person unto Christ's likeness. Campbell says this, Love is rugged commitment because love is often hard work. It is with because love is about sharing presence together. It is for because love means you will be their advocate on their side. It is unto, because love is directional. It moves towards the one to whom we surrender our love. And this is what it means to be in the light. Living in the light necessitates our recognition of our own imperfection. And that's why in John's light-darkness metaphor, the opposite of sin isn't perfection, but rather forgiveness. Verse 10 says that in the light, there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Put more literally, this would translate to, there is no stumbling block in it, which tells us that it's not on their own, the believers avoid stumbling, but it's only because of the light that brings clarity in their direction to our path that we are able to not stumble in the darkness. As we follow Jesus together, it is only through abiding in his ways and being attentive to his guidance that we avoid the darkness. It's easy to stray towards darkness if we rely on ourselves and if we aren't focused on the light and its call to love others. But as we abide in the light together, as we express a rugged commitment to one another, we become a sanctuary of imperfect people that are being perfected by the love of Jesus. In the reality we find ourselves in right now being disconnected and somewhat isolated, I think it's really easy for miscommunication to occur and really for our imaginations to run wild sometimes. Uh, reading a text message or an email isn't the same as getting to hear the inflection in someone's voice or reading their body language and the emotion conveyed through their body language. Right now, we don't have the conversations we're used to on a Sunday, and you're bound to miss something important as a person's audio cuts in and out over Zoom, right? Throw into the mix of it the stress that so many of us are feeling in this season, and we see an environment where the darkness could flourish if we aren't on our guard. We often talk about church as a family, and I truly feel like it is. But have you noticed how you hold your family to a bit of a higher standard than you might with some of your friends or your coworkers? How you're more prone to express frustration to a sibling or to a spouse than to your boss? I think John particularly talks about not hating other believers here because he knew the intensity that comes in disagreements with those you care about the most in situations where you feel like the stakes are highest. And we know the stakes are high. 
So it's important for us to hold on to that rugged commitment to follow Jesus together, no matter what the ups and downs are that we might face, and to continually surrender at the foot of the cross, remembering our own imperfections and celebrating the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. In a practical sense, I'd say this passage calls us to remember the importance of confession, the importance of community, and the importance of surrender. I have a prayer book or an app that I try and start off each day with, and usually there's a prayer of confession that is part of it. It reminds me of the, as that we confess our sins. It helps us maintain a sense of humility and an attitude of empathy towards others. When I think about community, I remember that even though we can't always gather physically, we should still seek to have community in our church through engaging with the chat on Sundays, through joining on some Zoom calls, even if they're cutting in and out and it can be hard to get on sometimes, and especially through talking with someone if you think there might be any tension in your relationship. This one is especially important. You don't even have to approach the topic of the tension and you might already find that by hearing someone's voice, the tension starts to melt away. It's incredible how that happens and I know I've had that happen in my life before. As I was starting to think about this message and as I think about surrender, I was, I was hearing a song by Pat Barrett called Sales. It reminded me that our ability to love one another is greatly increased by our experience of the Father's love for us. I felt it would be a good way to end our service today. And so for those of you that are watching after, I'd ask you to take a look at the link to the song video in the description for this message. If you're watching live, we're going to watch it here right now. It's a bit longer, and I know it could be hard for some of us to do right now, so it might be easier to go back and watch it later, and of course, we'll continue the live stream and we'll have uh, our chat after this. But if you're able to right now, I'd ask that you, you close your eyes, that you quiet your mind, that you simply invite the Spirit to come and speak to you in this moment right now. Holy Spirit, come. We're going to listen to the song now, but as we end this part right now, I want to thank you, North Point, and I pray that you may live in the joy of Christ's light as you go into your week.